For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Do you feel beautiful? Do you look beautiful? Does one really affect the other? Welcome to Beauty Inside and Out with host Bonnie Bonadeo. In our show, we'll help you uncover your true self and unleash beauty that you never knew existed in order to be at your best, both inside and out. Now, here is your host, Bonnie Bonadeo. Welcome, everybody. It's February, and you know what that means. That means that we just came off of Valentine's Day, and we were sharing the love with all of our friends and loved ones, and Valentine's Day seems to be a, you know, a big deal from a, a very consumer standpoint, and we're sharing chocolates and flowers and all of that good stuff. Um, but February is also Heart Month. And are we loving our hearts like we should? And are we taking care of ourselves like we should? So my guest today is Dr. Martha Gulati, and she is the First Division Chief of Cardiology for the University of Arizona College of Medicine. That's a pretty big title there. <laughs> yeah, and so I, I'm so glad you're here. I mean, it's nothing's more relevant than being able to hear you know, how we can take better care of our heart than from a heart doctor. So thanks for being with us. No, thanks for having me. So we want to. We're gonna. We're gonna talk about a lot of topics today. Um, so not only are you gonna share with us some of the things that you've learned over the years of how we can take better care of our heart, but I, you know, I, I, I searched you out and I had my assistant really look hard for somebody because I wanted to make sure that we understood that at this point what we know is that heart disease is the number one killer for women, and yet every commercial I see is not putting any emphasis whatsoever on females, women, and heart disease. And it seems as though there's kind of like still this missing piece that we don't know how we're treating our heart. We don't know how our heart is doing for us. And the next thing you know, we have heart disease or we're having heart attacks or strokes um, unexpectedly. So I want to definitely get some education of how we can let our listeners know what is it going to take for us to be more aware of what those symptoms are, how we can pre- be preventative, and um, and I know that you're very passionate about this subject. I can tell that. So, <laughs> but first, I want to hear about how you decided to be, grow up and become a heart doctor. <laughs> well, I think you know the the biggest thing is um, well, you you said it already. Heart disease is the number one killer of women, and a lot of people do think it's breast cancer. A lot of women specifically, and the messaging out there has been that. And when I entered medical school, I did find out, I mean, it was kind of shocking to me that they had never included women in trials um, related to heart disease. And I I remember sitting in that lecture and being somewhat shocked to hear that because given the fact that it impacted so many people and it had impacted me, my grandmother died of a stroke. She was very young, left her children to basically fend for themselves. And knowing that they knew nothing about women was somewhat shocking to me. So um, that's the moment that I decided not only would I specialize in as a cardiologist, but I also made the decision that I was going to contribute to 
trying to prevent heart disease in women. And so that is my primary focus. So when you were growing up, did you want to be a doctor? Was that kind of like, I want to grow up and be a doctor? And your parents were like, oh, we're really going to have a doctor in the family. <laughs> Could have been. I'm not sure if they cheered at that, but they definitely, um, I did grow up saying I wanted to be a doctor for probably not for any particular reason, except that I adored my grandfather and he was a doctor. Mm. Um, so I think that that was some part of it but you know again going through life and realizing how much you love the human body and how interesting it was and how um the opportunities within medicine just made that a perfect career for me and the way my mind worked and for cardiology you know I was actually a math major and for me the heart is very logical which is what math is and so it was for me the perfect blend for me but specifically it was the fact that so many people die from this disease in the united states um you know just under 400,000 deaths a year in women are due to heart disease and when you compare that to something like you know breast cancer it's it's just much less if you think one in 3 women will die of heart disease one in 32 women will die from breast cancer. So if you just need easy numbers, you know, as women, it's, and if you're an African-American woman, actually the, the risk of dying is one in two. So it's a toss of a coin. But even one in three, those aren't great odds for mm -hmm. most of us. And, and the fact is, is almost every woman, 90% of women um, in their adult age have at least one risk factor for heart disease. The good news is that 80% of heart disease is preventable. So if even despite those numbers, there's a lot of things we can be empowered to do, despite the risk factors in our family, despite our genetic makeup, there's actually a lot we can do to change our history. Oh, I bet. Yeah. And I think that it's it's really all about education, but it's also making sure that we're getting the right education as well. Because, you know, like what you just said, that you here you are in medical school and the studies are not using women in regards to this. I mean, that's shocking. And it's still <laughs> shocking. That was, unfortunately, many years ago. But um, even to this day, um, you know, most studies, if they enroll women, were somewhere between 20 to 30% of the enrollees. It's very unusual to have a study of a drug related to heart disease or just a study related to heart disease where there's 50% women. And this is, in 1995, the National Institute of Health and the Na um, NHLBI, the National Heart Lung Blood, Blood Institute, um, said that in order to take government funding for research, you have to start including women. That was in 1995. Wow. Here we are in 2017, and we're not necessarily closer to understanding women's hearts. We're better. We're certainly better. But we still have a long road to go. I call it, we're at the infancy of understanding women and their hearts in a very different way than the way that we understand men's hearts. And I, I think also people might be shocked to hear that when we do animal studies or cell studies, which are usually the things that lead us up to the human studies, until 2014, we forgot about those studies having to include female cells or female animals. It was only passed in 2016 by the NIH and only in effect as of 2016 last year. So you won't even see animal studies that included female rats or mice or whatever the animal is, let alone cells, 
most of them, unless they were related to the breast or related to um, ovaries and, and reproductive organs, that's the only time that they chose a female, female cell lines or female mice or whatever animal that we use in research. And it's only now that they are forced, if they're going to take National Institute of Health money, that they have to say that they're using both or using that. And we kind of jokingly say that maybe the female mice were too expensive or maybe female mice didn't want to be in the cage. <laughs> so it was easier to keep men and study the male mice. But that's a little bit tongue-in-cheek because I'm sure there's very little difference. But the biggest part is for scientists, you know, women have that. Women and female animals have that pesky problem of getting pregnant, of having hormones that fluctuate. Actually, men do too, but nonetheless, they that's always been the thought. It would be just easier to study men. If we only study men... We'll never get the answers about women. And there was a very famous cardiologist. Um, there is a very famous cardiologist. Her name is Dr. Nanette Wanger, and she's from Emory University. And she used this term saying, you know, we can't take a bikini approach to women's health. Like, you know, if you just look at the breast and the reproductive system, that's where we failed women. And I truly believe that. I think that, you know, we have to start taking off the bikini. What makes up Women is more than that, it, in our, and I only know cardiology, but I'm sure there's things we don't know about the bowels and the bladder and things like that that are specifically issues that are sex differences because there is differences between men and women. I think that there's nobody who disputes that. You know, I mean, they've written books, you know, men are from Mars, women are from Venus. If we recognize that women are different, why wouldn't we be studying them to find out the sex differences? It isn't, you know, we always say this, but women are not small men. We, we have physiological differences. We metabolize things differently. You know, even we've always heard about aspirin preventing a heart attack. And it's interesting, when we actually studied aspirin in men, we found that, yes, it reduced the risk of a heart attack as a preventative therapy. When we did the same studies only recently in women, we actually found that it actually reduced the risk of stroke, not the risk of heart attack. Mm. For men, it didn't reduce the risk of stroke. So we are biologically different. And women also, in those aspirin studies, had more um, bleeding, and women just bleed more. I mean, there's things about us that do bleed, but we, you know, so again, we need to figure out, are the doses right for women? Are the drugs right for the women? Do they work in the same way? And those are the things that we're missing until now. Wow. And it sounds like, but we're still missing a lot here. And it's shocking. I mean, just the numbers and the dates that you just gave me is shocking. But I loved what you said early on. You said the heart is very logical. <laughs> and, I, and I think a lot of people would argue with that because I think we all think that the heart is where the emotion resides and where the emotion sits and where we make decisions from. And, and you know, I know as an emotional intelligent trainer that that's not true, but the heart plays some role in it. So tell me a little bit more about how you're claiming it to be logical. Yeah, okay. So, I mean, we have our emotional heart that is very different than the physical heart. And so I won't ever pretend to be an expert on the emotions <laughs> of my heart let alone anyone else's. But the physiologic heart, the heart that pumps the blood to every organ in our body that is necessary for life, that is the most important organ, and 
you know, that is logical to me. I guess the reason I, f- I say that is it was very easy for me to understand. It didn't require a lot of medical school was memorization. I never claimed to be a great memorizer of things. But if I could work things out, like I said, with math, it was if you understood how things worked, you could work anything out. There was nothing that was not solvable. And I feel like that for cardiology, that it's a very, you know, you know, what goes in and where it should go and that there's certain principles of physics that actually exist in terms of our heart and when something's disrupted you know what either how you should maybe create a drug to improve the the pumping function say of the heart or um, how to prevent fluid uh, from backing up or blood from backing up in into the rest of the body or into the lungs so that's what I meant by logical um, And of course, there's still mysteries and there's things that we don't know about the heart, some related to the lack of studies, but some just related to the fact that we medicine, you know, medicine's an art and a science. Mm -hmm. And so the science part of it, maybe I got that under control. The art part, you know, that is where you, you you make it for that individual. And some things work for some people and don't work for others. And some people would even argue that maybe one day through genetics we'll know the people that drug A works for and versus drug B. But I think there's sometimes there's things that even us as physicians will say that's unexplainable and we don't know why our patient's even alive, but they are and we're grateful for it. And we can't understand that. But so there, there's, I mean, I don't think that we have all the answers. And, but I think physiologically we can work things out and try to do the best care we can for patients. Yeah. Well, tell us a little bit more about your position then with the um, University of Arizona. I mean, you're actually at the college. Are you are you more in research or professor or? <laughs> I'm a little bit of both. So I am the first um, chief of cardiology at the University of Arizona um, here on the Phoenix campus. And probably a lot of people know University of Arizona that's located in the Tucson campus. But for 10 years, we've actually had a medical school here in Phoenix. And actually tonight, we're celebrating our 10-year anniversary. Oh, wonderful. Um, so I just arrived here about a year ago. And um, we are building up our relationship through the University of Arizona with Banner University Medical System, so Banner Banner Health. Um, And Banner University Medical Center is actually the hospital I work out of and where I see patients and take care of patients. But um, I teach and do research with the University of Arizona. And you'll be seeing a lot of specialties and a lot of new physicians from academic medicine coming here as we build up the academic medicine on two campuses, on Tucson, which already exists, and on Phoenix that we're building and growing now. Oh, that's fantastic. I didn't realize that there was this, I mean, I saw that you were here in Phoenix, but I didn't realize that the medical campus had had, uh, also opened up here in Phoenix. Well, that's really good news. Yeah. And so where did you you reside from then? So you said you've been here for a year. Yeah, I moved from, I was at the Ohio State University in Columbus, Ohio, which is where I moved from. And prior to that, I was at Northwestern University, and I did all my training at the University of Chicago in Chicago, Illinois. Perfect. Good. Well, how are you liking Phoenix? I'm liking it. I mean, right now it's gorgeous and beautiful. <laughs> um, we did suffer last summer was my first <laughs> summer, and everybody ha- says you get stories and tales about your first summer. And so that, that was a little rough. I've never seen temperatures at 120. I'm a Canadian. I don't really knew, I don't think I knew temperatures existed like that. Um, but, it, you know, in general, it's a beautiful area and beautiful people. We've really been welcomed to the community unlike any 
other place. So that's been fantastic. And I uh-huh. hear that it takes some time to love the desert landscape. So um, I'm still the person who's so happy I have a house that has grass. <laughs> yeah, I actually just moved into a house that has grass too, and I'm and I'm thinking, wow, this is nice instead of rock. So <laughs> it does it does feel good. But welcome, we're glad to have you here, and and certainly your contribution to women's health and women's heart disease, um, because I know that there's just so much more we have to do, and and everything that you shared with us at this point. I mean, you shared that it's one in two women, but what? From a comparison to men, is heart disease also the leading cause of death death for men? It is. It's the okay. leading cause of death for Period. men and women. And it, it takes a disproportionate amount of lives in America for both. And our health care expenditure, if people care how much you know their health care dollars are paying for different disease states, the number one expenditure is on heart disease. And that's so for both men and women, it's important. It's just the difference of how we react to things. You know, for men, I kind of jokingly say a man goes into the emergency room and he stubbed his toe or whatever he's there for, and someone will still do an EKG on him and decide, oh, he's having a heart attack. Um, for women, sometimes it's like pulling teeth before they get mm. an EKG, and they may they may have classic symptoms or they may have atypical symptoms, but nonetheless, we don't think of women as the people or the, per, the per type of person to have heart disease. You know, whenever you watch a movie... Um, you know, we call it the Hollywood heart attack because you only see on movies usually men having a heart attack, mm-hmm. um, usually in a compromising position. But we don't actually get the tales of a woman having heart disease or a heart attack. And there was actually a couple of shows. Um, I think there was a soap opera this year that displayed somebody having some one of the soap opera stars having a heart attack. I actually. I think it was Young and Restless, but I don't really know. Could be, yeah. Um, and then there was a um, show, la- I think it was last year during this month, where um, Modern Family at least showed that one of the main characters undergoing a cardiac cath because someone was concerned about their heart. It turned out that there was nothing wrong with her heart, but they brought to the awareness that it can happen in a yeah. woman. And we need moments like that. We need, because that's how we reach people. I mean, we... Television is just one of the many mediums that we can use to educate women because the fact is we just don't often think. I think a lot of women don't think it's a disease that affects them. If their husband was having chest pain or chest discomfort, they would have called 911 or have them in the car and take them to the hospital without a second thought. But the question about what would they do for themselves yeah, that's always that's, the question. And that's a really good question. And I'm going to I'm going to leave us right there as we go to break. So, and let's talk to our listeners here. Like what are you doing to be heart healthy here? So, when we come back, we're going to talk with um uh, we're going to talk with Dr. Gulata and she's going to share with us what we can be doing not only to change these h- horrific research numbers um, because there might be something that we need to start be doing or have an awareness of. And then also, what can we do, be doing to take care of our hearts so that we can live that beautiful life that we are? All right. So if you have any questions, you can tweet me at BonnieBonadeo1. You can also um, send me a message on Facebook, and it's Beauty Inside and Out Show on Facebook. We'll be right back. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Are you looking to uncover your authentic self? Looking to improve your communication? 
selling, or public speaking skills. Discover Naked Audience Productions trainings on public speaking, leadership, sales, and healing. Mastering the art of authentic communications can change your life in many ways. From promotions, to profits, to enhancing any relationship, whether it's business or personal, finding and speaking your naked truth is a beautiful thing. Visit www.napevents.com or call 877-319-2403. That's napevents.com or 877-319-2403. Second Wind Success, hosted by Gene Carino, is all about helping boomers catch their second wind in business and life. Most of us achieve our greatest success after the age of 50. Life has a learning curve with a few stumbling blocks along the way. As long as you stay committed to your vision and adapt along the way, you'll find the success you're looking for. Tune in to Second Wind Success every Wednesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Variety. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You are listening to Beauty Inside and Out with Bonnie Bonadeo. If you have a question or comment about our show, please send an email to bonnie at bonniebonadeo.com. That's bonnie at bonniebonadeo.com. Now back to Beauty Inside and Out. Welcome back, everybody. I'm here with my guest, Dr. Martha Gulati, and we are getting to the heart of beauty here. So Dr. Martha Gulati is a chief cardiologist for the University of Arizona College, and she's also the executive director for Banner as a physician. She has quite a few titles here, so she's very committed and very passionate about everything in heart disease. And if you had a chance to hear our first segment, she shared some startling statistics on why women are still not getting the research um, comparisons, why we're, why we're still trying to figure out the differences between men and women. But she did share with us that one in two women will, will die of heart disease um, compared to one in 32 with cancer, which I think we put a lot of emphasis on cancer in females, especially breast cancer. Um, but the truth is, is that heart disease is the number one killer of both men and women. And we're going to talk about many, many things in this segment here of what can we do to take better care of our hearts. Now, I know that you also are an author of a book, um, Saving Women's Hearts, so I'm excited to hear about some of that and then for our listeners to be able to um, source that book so that they can start taking better care of their heart as well. But let's start with, I mean, if you were able to narrow it down, what are the, the three top things that we should be doing to take care of our heart? And then how does that translate into the lifestyle that we're living nowadays? Well, I think if I had to choose three things, I would say the first one is if you smoke, quit smoking. Mm-hmm. That's the leading cause of heart disease. And although I know it's the, probably the hardest one for people to quit, it 
in hours, your risk reduces uh, dramatically when you quit smoking, let alone after time. So quitting smoking is first. I think the second thing is move, move. We sit too much. Our society has become a very sedentary population. And no matter what, you need regular exercise. And you also need to move. I, 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 we focus so much on how long you exercise for. But quite honestly, if every hour your Fitbit or whatever, your secretary, whoever is, you know, tells you get up off your chair, go get up off your chair. because you Or send yourself a reminder or an appointment to get up. Um, sending an email to somebody who sits five feet from you, probably you could just get up and talk to them. Um, and then the third thing I would say is um, diet. And by di that, I really don't mean go on a diet. I just mean what look at what you're eating and eat properly, eat better, make better choices. Because I think what's killing our society right now is our diet which we you know we have a lot of takeout food we have a lot of processed food we like things simple easy and fast and if we just took the time to do more to make healthier choices every day with every meal take a healthier choice um you know even if it's something as simple as you're going to still eat the fast food burger on because you're on the road maybe you don't get the fries that can be your healthy thing for that day, um, for that meal. With every meal, though, you know, did you eat a serving of vegetables? No matter what you eat, try to make some smart choices. So those are the three things that I, I would do. Well, and I think that you, we've heard that. We've heard that a million times. What's stopping us from doing it? I mean, I know that, you know, smoking is an addiction and it's a little bit more complex than just, okay, I'm going to just quit smoking. Although some people can do that very successfully. Yeah. The moving part, I'm telling you, I love the idea of the Fitbit. And I just moved into a house that has stairs. And I'm thinking, yes, because it's forcing me to move. So when I'm sitting at my desk upstairs, um, I literally make a conscious effort that if I have to go get a drink of water or go to the restroom, I go downstairs. So it forces me to just be moving more than just walking two feet to the other room. Yeah, well, people and people often say they hate exercise and things like that. And I, I don't think it's always just about, you know, going out and going to the gym or going for a run or going for a swim or whatever the thing is that some people love to do. It's just getting yourself to be more active would be a beginning. There's actually some strong data that has shown, even for people that exercise regularly, if they exercise for their hour in the morning, yet they sit the entire day, they're still at an increased risk for heart disease. So, you know, it's not enough. We, we are, we've become, our jobs have become very sedentary. Technology has made us very mm. sedentary. This generation of kids love sitting in front of the TV and the video games and things like that. And we just have to find ways to be creative to get movement into our life. And it doesn't always have to be about, you know, fun exercising. That's just part of it. Exercise is part of it. I would, you know, ideally I would like people to do both, but moving more, being active more. Fitbits are great because sometimes you're, if, some people are motivated by numbers and by seeing a number, um, any of these devices that tell you, you know, how much you did that day, great. Use it if it motivates you. For other people, it's just, you know what, I'm going to move for, you know, I'm going to look at the clock and I'm going to move on the top of every hour for five minutes. I'm going to get out of my desk. It will make you more productive. It will make you healthier. Mm -hmm. It will actually help you concentrate more. And I think even from companies and from workforce, you know, should be thinking about things to get people out of their chairs more often. And, 
You know, I'm a big fan of those uh, standing desks and walking desks. I had one before I came here to Arizona, and then my office was too small, so I had to get rid of it here. But I loved it because there would be time I'd be on phone calls, and I would do them from a treadmill. Um, and if I had to just answer emails, I would always never sit to check email. I would always do it standing up on the treadmill. And there's different ways to get active. I just think people have to be very cognizant about it and think mm -hmm. about it that, you know, this is going to be part of my life. Have meetings. If you're the organizer of the meeting, consider having walking meetings um, just because that would help people to get still things accomplished. I bet you the meetings would be shorter. Um, <laughs> and everybody on your team that you need to meet with would get a little bit of activity and probably get it done. And especially if it's a one-on-one -on -one meeting, you can say, let's just walk together and let's talk. And even if it's walking to get a coffee, you're probably going to have that coffee anyway. So might as well walk together to go and get it and then walk back um, so I, I think it's just finding a way to fit into our lives but it has to become a priority our we as a society are getting bigger and bigger and bigger you know what was size four now is not the size four of my mother's generation I would you know we we are just getting heavier as a society and it's not even just about weight but that's one of the problems or the right. consequences of our sedentary society. Yeah, oh, I totally get that. And it, it is, it's hard. We get so caught up in just our day-to-day -day that it's like, you know, I don't want to move. When I, I know when I worked in an office and then I had drive time, I would drive to the gym. But if I'm working from home, it's like, I don't want to go to the gym. So there is, there's the, there is that difference for me. I notice it for me. And... Um, it's frustrating because also then the gym doesn't seem very appealing. And I'm like, well, this time of year, I can go hike a mountain. I can just go walk in my neighborhood with my dog. There's a lot of choices. But the minute it's like summertime hits, it's I feel very limited to that extra activity. You know, we're kind of the opposite of because the Because Arizona is the, yeah, we're, it's the winter. The summer is the winter of yeah. the north. <laughs> and, and when people first move here, that's the culture shock that they go yeah. through is that, you know, we all go indoors or we hang out by a body of water in the summertime. Yeah. And in the wintertime, we're out moving around and being very active. So there is a, there is a difference there. So uh, moving is very good advice. Um, and so I'm going to encourage all my listeners that if you're listening to this, then you d listen to it on iTunes and be in motion because that's <laughs> how you can find me as well, also on Stitcher. But all of these shows get archived, um, you know, by tonight or the next morning. And um, it's a great opportunity to just be in motion and listen to some of the educational opportunities that Beauty Inside and Out has to offer. All right. So let's talk about diet because I think that that's probably um, it's it, it is you're right it's very hard for us to be eating more healthy and and now we're limited to if we're eating healthy or organic you know there's those few locations that we can go and get it and then there's the prices attached to it um, and somebody had said to me I was talking with uh, a guest on my show a couple weeks ago and I said no 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 we I ate organic growing up my mother bought potatoes that still had dirt on them from you know the farm and we cooked all of those meals and that was that was organic we've just gotten away from the you know taking the time to really source those kinds of foods cook those foods and then sit as a family and eat those foods yeah and i think you know i think arizona moving here one of my favorite things about moving here has been the fact that i have a garden thanks to some place called farmyard gardens that helped oh, me cool. plant a garden and so I have these raised beds, and those raised beds, I grow literally all my vegetables. I only go to the grocery store now for um, 
specifically <laughs> ginger because I don't know how to grow ginger and tomatoes because it's not yet tomato season apparently in Arizona but in a couple weeks that's what we're planting next but I have been basically able to grow every vegetable and they're all organic and I go outside and look at what's ready and that's how I decide what we're eating for dinner that night and it has been like the most awesome thing about Arizona oh, is having this great. garden and I think that that's one thing people could consider because you take a lot of pride and joy when you grow something and then the ease and accessibility and you just want to taste it. And it looks more lovely, quite honestly, even than, even than the organic section in the grocery store. It looks more lovely when it's planted. So um, you get excited and that's where we actually do our grocery shopping. I always say I'm going grocery shopping and I go to the backyard. <laughs> um, but I think that, you know, what I tell people and maybe that's not that everybody can do that, but I will tell you the sunshine here allows you to grow things all year long, and that is an awesome thing that I've never that experienced. We, that we've probably taken for granted just probably. living here thinking <laughs> I, I it's too hot. What can we grow? Everything. But if we have sunshine Literally and everything. we have the right soil, you can grow anything. I mean, you have to know your times. I, I'm learning from farmyards about what grows at which time of year, and they help you make a choice about what you should plant and, you know, what's going to do ideal and, you know, all that stuff and what kind of watering system you should have. But um, even if you don't have that luxury... I mean, the important thing, I always tell my patients, look, make your diet or your food, I hate calling it a diet, but make what you eat look colorful. That's mm -hmm. how you know you get, you know, a rainbow of colors means you're using fruits and vegetables as a big portion of what you eat. And when you use many colors, not only does the food look more appetizing and more interesting, but it's good for you, getting lots of vitamins, a lot of minerals, lots of fiber, and that's what we need to be healthy. And the things that are wrapped in plastic or that are come in a jar, I'm telling you, they're not healthy for you. If they come from a fast food place, they probably aren't healthy for you. And I think we need to get back to real food or whole food, if that's the way that people talk about the movement. Because when you make the food yourself, you know what's in it. So, you know, you could have n no problem in terms of coronary disease, but you could develop hypertension because you're eating so much processed food, with, which has a lot of sodium in it. And if you're cooking it, you know what you're putting in it. You know if you put an extra shake of salt in it or if you um, didn't add any salt. And you don't have that control when you go to a restaurant mm, or if you're eating prepackaged food. So I think that's one of the reasons, because even hypertension leads to a high, it's one of the risk factors for heart disease and it's one of the risk factors for stroke. And so people who have to worry about that, one of the easiest ways before medications is simply reducing the salt in their diet and increasing the fruits and vegetables in their diet. So by going towards, you know, the, a, a better diet, you can actually cure a lot of heart disease. But I think people need to be more conscientious about what they put in their body. Um, it's not to say that I don't cheat. Of course I cheat. Every, I like chocolate. You know, I like potato chips. I like sweets. You know, we all have our things, but it's just about moderation and knowing, you know, again, if I'm going to make the food, most often I'm going to make it myself because I know what I put into it. I know that I don't want salt in my food because that is something that my husband cannot have. Um, so we we cook very, you know, we use more herbs and spices. That's also another mm -hmm. thing that you can do. But To add flavor. Yeah. yeah. But just to look at your food and decide, you know, what is it that you're putting in your body? And what do you want out of what you put in your body? 
So I used to um, volunteer, and I was on a board for a women's organization that was called Know Your Numbers. And it was really set up to be able to say, do you know your cholesterol? Do you know your blood pressure? And when you say hypertension, is that related to blood pressure? Hypertension and blood pressure are the same thing, sorry. So if you have high blood pressure, then obviously you're at risk for heart disease. Um, High cholesterol then another risk, right? Yeah, the risk, the traditional risk factors that we talk about that are common to both men and women is high blood pressure, hypertension, either one, they mean the same thing, high cholesterol, whether you smoke or not, whether you have diabetes, and then, of course, your fa- if you have a family history of heart disease, the genetic side of it. Certainly, age is a risk factor. As we already talked about, immobility is a risk factor for both men and women. Some unique risk factors for women is just knowing during pregnancy, for example, if you had hypertension during pregnancy or something called preeclampsia, that puts you at a greater risk for heart disease. Having gestational diabetes, which means diabetes during pregnancy, that puts you at higher risk um, for heart disease. And just two weeks ago, a paper came out um, confirming some previous research saying that if you had uh, um, preterm delivery before 37 weeks of gestation, you are a woman that ends up being at high risk for heart disease. Oh, that's fascinating. Yeah, because that, I mean, I you just mentioned three of my friends right there in those three situations with them when they were pregnant. And a lot of them don't go home knowing that they're at risk for heart disease. Right. And so we need to change that. So we have a few more minutes before we're going to take another break. So we talked about quit smoking, flat out, move. And uh, you did this great blog that when I was on your website, you did this great blog. Ask your doctor if getting off your ass is right for you. (laughs) (laughs) We need more of that kind of language to really be in the face of it. Because instead, we're asking a doctor if a particular drug is right for us. But the truth is, is if we quit smoking, we moved more and we ate better, we wouldn't need the drugs that are being prescribed out there as much. Exactly. I mean, some people will still need medication, but many, many, many people will not be need medication if we could make these lifestyle changes. And that really, you know, most people don't want to be on a medication, but taking a medication is obviously easier than doing the work. And so, but if you really want to avoid drugs and treatment, you know, there's a lot of alternative therapies out there that, you know, I would argue are a waste of your money, but the lifestyle changes that you can make, and we call it therapeutic lifestyle changes, or TLC, and, mm-hmm. and we don't mean tender loving care. We but really it, mean, but it, but totally it is. relates to that, yeah. But it is because what we're asking is we're saying these are things that you can do to take care of you, and if we can be more as physicians, if we can be greater advocates for things rather than just writing a prescription and saying see ya. It takes more time. It takes a longer conversation and a longer doctor visit. But for me, this is my passion. I want to get people off their medications. I want people to not need drugs if that's possible. Yeah. And and working with patients is why I went into medicine in the first place. So, oh, that's great. Well, we're gonna we're gonna get ready to head to a break here. So when we come back in our next segment, in our final segment, I want to talk a little bit about your book. Um, it and what are some of the key points of that? How we can get access to your book and you know share with us certainly so that the listeners can order the book, and then to be able to talk about you know what we talked about these three things on the diet, but what signs do we need to look for? Like you know we could be middle aged and start showing signs, but we're not aware of it. We could just be saying it's stress at the job or fatigue, um, you know, from certain things. And so what are those signs that we need to look for? All right. So if anybody has any questions 
questions, um, please feel free to tweet uh, Dr. Gulati or myself. I'm at Bonnie Bonadeo One. She is at at Dr. Martha Gulati, and that's G U L A T I. We'd love to hear your feedback, and um, or you can uh, find me on Facebook, Beauty Inside and Out Show. We'll be right back. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Are you looking to uncover your authentic self? Looking to improve your communication, selling, or public speaking skills? Discover Naked Audience Productions trainings on public speaking, leadership, sales, and healing. Mastering the art of authentic communications can change your life in many ways. From promotions to profits to enhancing any relationship, whether it's business or personal, finding and speaking your naked truth is a beautiful thing. Visit www.napevents.com or call 877-319-2403. That's napevents.com or 877-319-2403. You count. Tune into Inner Revolutionary Radio and join the spontaneous wave of people all over the planet who, like you, are changing our world from the inside out. Follow the movement. Meet guests who are shaking things up. Call in and gain insights and courage to empower your own voice. Large or small, your part counts. So join us. Co-hosted by Beth Green and James Maynard, Inner Revolutionary Radio airs live every Thursday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel. Where can you learn about EasyWayPromotions.com's social media marketing, brand positioning, and more? Easy Talk Live. Where can you get tuned into celebrities in the business world? Easy Talk Live. Where can you learn about entrepreneurment? Easy Talk Live. Every week, host Eric E.Z. Zuli and his celebrity friends talk about global causes, offer tips and tricks that you can use right now on social media, and give you the chance to promote your projects on Easy Talk Live. Every Saturday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. You are listening to Beauty Inside and Out with Bonnie Bonadeo. If you have a question or comment about our show, please send an email to bonnie at bonniebonadeo.com. That's bonnie at bonniebonadeo.com. Now back to Beauty Inside and Out. Getting to the heart of beauty. That's what we're doing here with Dr. Martha Gulati. And so you have won a couple of awards. One of them is called the Credo Award. And the other one is the National Red Dress, which is a huge foundation to be able to create an emphasis around women's heart disease. And then you're also the author of Saving Women's Hearts. So tell us a little bit about these awards that you won. And then we want to get we want to dive into a little bit of your book and how that can help us to be able to be more heart smart. Well, I think that... To your first question about the awards, I think that those are related to some of my research and contributions to trying to cure women in heart disease and trying to make advances in this field. So they were huge honors for me to even receive either the Credo Award or the Red Dress Award. Um, and now every every year they actually give out both those awards. So um, we have a sort of sisterhood of people that have, you know, kind of 
been trailblazers in the field. It's mm, nice. And my book, my book is called Saving Women's Hearts, and I wrote it with my co-author, um, Sherry Torkis, who's a pharmacist. Um, we went to university together, and we have got a chance to re- reunite together and write that book a couple years ago. And um, the book is really what we decided, the reason we wanted to write it was to basically take heart disease, heart disease prevention, heart disease testing, and bring it to terms that women would understand. So we wanted them to first of all understand why they should care about their hearts and steps towards preventing heart disease. And then for those who have to be on medications or for those who have to undergo testing or those that are living with heart disease, that they would be able to have a resource to know why certain things are done or why a certain test uh, would happen and then what would they experience in that test? Because mm. I think so often we order things and then we don't, as physicians, I would say this, we order the test and we forget to actually describe the test to our patients so that they know what to expect. Is this an invasive test? Is this not an invasive test? You know, for women, when we do an ultrasound of the heart, women are used to getting ultrasounds maybe when they're pregnant. <clears throat> but an ultrasound of your heart, for example, you would maybe you wouldn't know that you have to take off your bra. And it's, you know, they're going to be probing around your left breast, but that's because your heart lies under there. And that's the way that we capture images. And if it's your first time and you get that cold gel in that area, it's not the world's most comfortable <laughs> thing to have someone mashing up against your left breast. So, I mean, just for women to be prepared and know why the doctor even might have ordered it, what questions are they trying to answer? Mm-hmm. There yeah, shouldn't be it, mystery around what your doctor right. does. Why are those tests relevant and what are you looking for? I mean, mm-hmm. and, and that really is, but that's a patient directive too. Like the patient needs to be aware of asking the right questions so that you are providing the information. And that was a big part of it is that we um, made it so that patients would know what questions to maybe ask their doctor. And in addition, I'm also the editor of something called CardioSmart or CardioSmart.org, which is for the American College of Cardiology, our patient education arm. And in that, actually, for every disease state, we actually make what questions you should ask your doctor. So if you look up, like, I have high blood pressure or hypertension, in those sh- the forms that we have made online, they actually have a list of questions that we've prepared based on what we think the most common questions are usually related to that disease state. And that's true for anything. We have that for heart failure, heart disease, heart attack. I just had a heart attack. What do I do? Um, or what are the questions you might have for a doctor? So at least you can make up some questions before you go to the doctor's office. Okay, good. So that was at cardiosmart.org. Yes, oh, That's perfect. Well, that is awesome to know that those are some good resources. Now let's talk about, um, because we talked about some preventative opportunities. Anything else you want to share in the preventative realm before we go into, so we might be having a heart attack and we don't know, or we could be leading to heart disease, but we're not aware because maybe we're not getting regular checkups, we're not having our numbers checked, um, or we're just assuming that it's fatigue and stress on the other end. Well, in terms of knowing you're at risk is the first step. So I agree with you. Knowing your numbers is key. Talking with your doctor um, about cardiovascular disease and if you are at risk, it's important for you to have those conversations, especially as a woman. You go in, You women are great. They, they go in for their pap smear. That's not a comfortable test. They go in for a mammogram. That's not a comfortable test. 
And they should also be getting heart screening. And by heart screening, it's actually the least uncomfortable test that you can actually have as a woman because it really is assessing some blood work, assessing your blood pressure, talking about your risk and making a calculation about your risk short term, which for us is about your next 10 years of developing heart disease, and then also telling you what your lifetime risk for heart disease is here and now. And that should be done every year because things change and life is dynamic. That's just the part for knowing you're at risk. And that starts you know, with your primary care physician. And it should be part of your routine physical exam. Unfortunately, the truth is it just is not. Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, I, I you really do have to ask for those things. That's yeah. the difference. And, you know, I'm like my one doctor, my gynecologist, she's like the main doctor. Like, I don't have a primary. Most women don't. I don't have, like, specialties unless they kind of direct me to that. So my gynecologist is the person I'm really kind of divulging my life story to annually. And, you know, is she in a position, he or she in a position to be able to say, I'm also going to set you up to, to run other blood tests, you know? And actually, you know, we find that's true for women. When we ask them who is their primary care physician, most often that person is a gynecologist. Um, and so we've actually been partnering a lot through the American College of Cardiology. We've been partnering with the American College of Gynecologists to come up with joint statements and joint uh, goals of therapy because we know more often than not women turn to their gynecologist for all their care, their primary Mm -hmm. care. So um, we are working with them and actually I think many gynecologists through all our work together are the ones who are finding heart disease or finding if women are at risk for heart disease, at least getting them to the right people. The they, right, may not, yeah. they may not treat it, but once they've identified that you're at risk, then they're sending them. And I think they've been a great partners for us um, because I think we all have the same goal in, in mind is that we want our women to live long and healthy lives. And part of that is knowing if they're at risk for heart disease right. since it is the number one killer. Well, and there is this trust that we have with our gynecologist and and there's the openness, the intimacy and the openness that happens immediately just <laughs> going into that office, right? Um, and I don't have that same thing with a primary. It's like I feel negated. I feel like if I want to have a conversation that goes in three different arenas, they may not listen to all three of them and connect the dots. They might listen to one and just try to diagnose from one and I don't know if they're connected or not connected but I'm like kind of you know pulling stuff out like I feel like this and this and this and that and I just I don't feel the same level of trust in my in my care sometimes and I think some people feel that way you just have to have a relationship ultimately with your doctor and be able to have open discussions about you know knowing your risk and and for women that are listening to this is to be able to talk to them say i i heard that heart disease is the number one killer of women so do you know if i'm at risk that's how the conversation mm, a great starts. way to start and women should be empowered to ask if they're at risk and and then you know the other thing for women is that when they do have a heart attack often sometimes it can be misdiagnosed we don't always present like men we're not little men so you know there is things about different about how we present for heart disease and so it's really important for women to first know they're at risk so if they are in the emergency room wondering 
what's going on, why do I feel like this, that they can even feel empowered to say, are you sure it's not my heart, given that it's the number one killer? Sometimes that's the difference between a, an emergency room physician checking for heart disease or not even thinking about it, not even having it cross their mind. And, you know, it, it, it's not that ideally we'd love all physicians to be well-trained and well-versed in this field, and we're, we're working on those aspects as well. But in the meantime, women should feel empowered to ask those questions because we do see women, um, you know, dying at home or women that have come in multiple times and only on the third visit to the emergency room do they recognize that their indigestion might have also been that they were actually having a heart attack or that their back pain wasn't back pain at all, but it was heart disease or their jaw pain. Wasn't that they had need to go to the dentist, but actually that was their angina. So again, women should know if they're at risk. Start those conversations first. But if you think you're having a heart attack, the first thing you do is call 911. Better to laugh about it later and say, oh, I guess it wasn't anything. But you do not drive yourself. Nobody drives you to the emergency room. You call 911. And only once they've told you that it isn't your heart, do you actually move on and find out what else. Heart disease is the one, the main thing that's going to kill you if you don't get it treated quickly. So that's the reason that we could say call 911 and make sure that your heart is okay. So you said, um, you know, back pain, indigestion, and jaw pain. So those are three symptoms had that happen in women that could be related to heart disease or a heart attack. Definitely. Other things is, you know, we often talk about chest pain, chest pressure, elephants sitting on your chest, and those can happen in women. And in two thirds of women, that can be the symptom. But in a third of women, they can have no chest pain at all. And they might just have shortness of breath. They might have jaw pain or back pain or even neck pain. They might have just shoulder pain. They also may have a profound sense of fatigue or weakness that just came on suddenly. It isn't just being fatigued. We're all tired and we all feel overworked. But something new where it's changed. I could walk up the stairs yesterday and suddenly I, it's just so exhausting and there's something wrong. Women, women's intuition, if you will, mm -hmm. actually is real, at least related to this. Women know when something's acutely changed. And, and especially if you know you're at risk for heart disease, it is very possible that, that those things can be symptoms of a heart attack. Yeah, that's great. So that's really good advice. And and to call 911, to not yes. kind of put it off and or say, you know what, I think I'm going to go make an appointment with my doctor. Call 911, be better safe than sorry, because like you said, heart disease is, it's not going to give you a second chance if, if you're going into a heart attack and or a stroke. Yeah, time is your heart muscle. And if we can restore the blood flow to your heart, that can be the difference. And time is of essence. What can we do to get more impact than in the research that's happening for women as we because I want to do a couple call to actions before we close out the show. How can women be more involved in some of these research tests? Well, first of all, I think women can play a great role. First of all, I think we should encourage women to look for studies that might benefit them. And if they may not benefit them, what about their children, their grandchildren? Um, you know, we want our future generations to live longer than us and we should want research done on women and if it's done safely and at good universities you know everybody has nobody's trying to experiment on people unnecessarily do some investigation into your researchers if you're nervous at all but find out if there's a way that you can be part of a study to help maybe yourself 
but also the future generations of women. Right. We have to be proactive. We need more women in studies and we need more minorities in studies. Another way that I think women can, you know, a call to action can be for women to actually talk with their government, their legislators at the state level and at the federal level and ask them, are you going to fund research that is specific to women and their hearts? We should want money funneled to the number one killer. It's very interesting that more money goes from the National Institute of Health to breast cancer research than it does to heart disease research and definitely more than women specific research in heart. And that to me is just a shame. I mean, we've made great strides in breast cancer. I'm not trying to belittle it and I know it's an important disease no. for women. But when so many more lives are threatened, like I told you, one in three women's lives are taken from heart disease. And given that, we should be as women, we should be very vocal and fight with our congressmen and congresswomen and our, our legislators to remember that this that healthcare matters, our lives matter. Maybe everything political can be off the table, but I think everyone agrees on that. And yeah. how can we improve the health of our nation? Oh, that's awesome. Thank you, Dr. Martha Galati, for being here today and sharing with us uh, the wealth of information. And, you know, for us to make sure that we're keeping our eyes open, that we're not, if we're not being proactive, we're not taking care of ourselves. And if we're not doing the things and the suggestions you shared preventatively and uh, research-wise and, you know, n understanding some of those symptoms that come up, then we're not taking good care of ourselves. And we're all about you know, when I say beauty from the inside out, it starts on the inside for us to feel beautiful on the outside, or we don't have a beautiful life to live. So I appreciate you being here. Thank you, listeners. If you have any further questions on the back end of our show, please feel free to still tweet me at Bonnie Bonadeo One or um, Dr. Gulati here at, at Martha, Dr. Martha Gulati, G U L A T I. And I'm sure she'd be happy to answer the questions. But you can go to her website too, Dr. Martha Gulati, and that also has a wealth of information in her blogs on there as well as cardiosmart.org or get her book saving women's hearts thanks for joining us today we'll talk to you next week thank you for listening to beauty inside and out please join your host bonnie bonadeo again next thursday afternoon at 5 p.m eastern time 2 p.m pacific time on the voice america variety channel have a great week